make a little space. Hey, um, I don't know about you, I'm a bit of a fan of good old social experiments from time to time. I just, I, I, it may not surprise you given the kind of, you know, vocation that I'm in, but I find people fascinating. And, um, and one of the, the classic experiments that you may have even participated in or you may have even facilitated is uh, what I like to call the classic box of favourites uh, study. Uh, this is where, you know, you get those Cadbury box of favourites, right? Which we all know there are certain favourites within the favourites. Like, how did some of those sneak in? You know, we're all asking ourselves this question, but the person next to us might be thinking of a different one to ourselves. And so you get the bowl and you pour in the favourites and you put it in the middle of the party and you see not what gets eaten. We all know what's going to get eaten. For me, I'm curious about what gets left behind. Is it going to be Turkish delight? See what happened, eh? <laughs> I don't know. I see. I, I see. Actually, I'm not going to tell you my preference on Turkish delight. I don't want to lose half the congregation. All right, but but this is this is the thing, right? We 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 get into this mindset where suddenly we can kind of get in this position where we can pick and choose. And I remember good old picking and choosing. Yeah, remember the days when you went to McDonald's and they just gave you the burger. You didn't have to select every side you put on it. Down in Melbourne, they've got this place called uh, Cold Rock Ice Creamery. It's in a lot of these places. And you got ice cream, but then you've got like a billion choices to put on it. It's like if you're one of those people who struggles to make decisions, it is like your nightmare. Um, but I always think about this, uh, this idea that we are so loaded with choices and choosing. We almost adopt it as a, a presumption that this is the way we can go about doing things. And when it comes to today's text, this is one of these areas where, particularly within the teachings of Jesus, it may be tempting to kind of pick and choose. I will have uh, this aspect of Jesus because I like this, but this teaching, oh, I'm not such a fan. And I've come across this a number of times, and so I want to challenge you today. You might be somebody who, uh, as we explore this text, might have this natural resistance within you saying, I don't want to eat that one, yeah? And yet, Jesus has taught it, and there is something for you to either be challenged by or to have brand new insight into. And so we're going to start with the text and then we're going to kind of work through it. I've been really enjoying this Sermon on the Mount series. It's been great hearing back from people as they're going, oh, I hadn't kind of heard that angle before. You may discover that today is no different. So here's our text. If I turn on my clicker, here's the text. You have heard it said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. That's from Exodus 21, 24 down there. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away the one who wants to borrow from you. Oh, we don't like this because it just feels unfair, doesn't it? Oh, come on, Jesus. Look, I'll take your other stuff, but this, oh, this is just a little bit too much. We'll unpack why in a second. Now, it's important, particularly if you haven't been following this uh, series, Jesus, what he's doing here is he is 
un, uh, essentially unpacking the way that particular texts have been interpreted and reinterpreting them. So whenever you see that phrase, you have heard it said, he's referring to a particular way that a law in the Torah, that is uh, that the rule book of the Jewish people has been interpreted and applied. And Jesus is saying, you've applied it and interpreted this way, but I'm going to tell you that actually God's intention for this law is different. And so this is what we're looking at here in Matthew 5.38. Jesus is taking to task this particular law that had been put into practice called eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. Now, there's actually three references in the Torah to this particular law, but the one uh, that is based mostly around the actual law is the one here in Exodus 21.23-24. And so this is the context of it. Verse 23, but if there is a serious injury, you are to take life for life, Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. That's right. This was the law that was given in the Torah to the people of God. Now, this is a fascinating um, bit of text. Now, you might uh, need to understand that this little grab that I've got here comes out of a long piece on personal injury. That's the kind of the context of this law. If you injure a, a person, if you injure an animal, if there is some sort of kind of cost involved, here are the ways that you are to go about relating and restoring relationship with each other. That was what God's intention was. Now, this system, even though it looks very harsh at face value, was created by law, by God, so that vengeance didn't escalate. Okay? That's what its purpose was. Because suddenly, if you chop off my hand, right, we all know the fire within us that says, this is not right, something needs to be done. And when left to our own devices, what do we end up doing? We get vengeance. We seek revenge. And usually revenge isn't of an equal value to the task. No, no, no. They ought to hurt more. Okay? So this law was given to prevent that from happening, okay? So that greater and greater levels of violence wouldn't escalate. And we are very familiar with this in our world. This is not some old thing. We know that the cycle of revenge and the perpetuation of violence gets bigger and bigger and bigger until people are more and more hurt, and this is what God wanted to avoid. And so he said, as you administer justice in these circumstances, right, you are not allowed to administer any more retribution than the situation demands. That's what God is saying in this law. You are not allowed to administer any more re retribution than the situation demands. This was a defensive mechanism. A defensive mechanism, right? And that's really fascinating because nowadays when we hear this term eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, we have turned it not from a defensive mechanism but into an offensive mechanism. You have taken my eye. I am entitled to take your eye. Right? So we have turned something that God gave in order to prevent escalating violence, and we have turned it into an entitlement mentality. It's like, you did this, so now I am entitled to do this much to you. And of course, what happens is if we continue to do this, and let's be honest, we're not great at actually providing appropriate retributive justice. The flame of fire, the flame of vengeance just continues to be passed along over and over again, right? You might even have heard of a term before called payback, right? It's familiar. 
and familiar to many, many cultures, of course. But this is what happened. It's not what God wanted. God gave us, or he gave his people, this defensive mechanism, and it was turned into an offensive mechanism. A law that was designed to de-escalate violence, right, was now being used to escalate it. And to whatever extent that this was prevalent within Jesus' day, he is calling it out, and he's, he's calling out the misinterpretation of this law. Not to abolish the law. He's not saying this is a bad law. He's saying, I want to fulfill it. I want to give you insight into what God originally intended for this law. This is what it looks like to live out this law in line with being Oh, sorry, in line with the heart of God. And so this is the context, okay? We need to understand this because there's a danger that we kind of go, oh, I just want to reject it or whatever it might be. Jesus isn't about rejecting you. He's saying, what did God want for this law? Because you've gone astray. He continues, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Oh, people hate that. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Now again, this is one of these passages that a number of Christians tend to simply reject as if it is optional. And I say this not because I'm trying to be all judgy, it's because so many times I have conversations with people and they literally point to this passage. You know, they kind of go, ah, oh, you know, I'll be loving, I'll be loving, but if someone hits me, I'll make sure they don't hit me twice. I've heard that said to me by Christians, right? I've heard it said, they're like, they're like, no, 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 no. If someone hits me, I'll make sure they don't hit me twice, but I'll be loving, I'll do the whole Jesus stuff, but in that situation, no. Nah. Pacifism, not an option. And I just, I just got to kind of call that out, right? Because that is just a blatant picking and choosing of what Jesus is teaching here, right? <laughs> and discipleship doesn't work that way. If you've chosen to follow Jesus, you... His way is your way, right? So we've got to make sense of this. We can't just be like, I'll accept the 99% of Jesus here, but this particular area, or maybe Jesus was off the mark, or I just won't follow that. Like, seriously, what, what are we doing here? Could you imagine if Jesus, the rabbi, had one of his disciples, he was Talmudim, following his every word and every step, and one of them is just like, ah, nah, Jesus, not that one. It just would not happen, okay? It's not how it works, and the same is true for us. If we've chosen to follow Jesus, we don't get to choose the parts that we follow. His way is our way. And so why then might people try to reject this particular direction? Sometimes it's from this place of arrogance, you know, or insecurity. You know, there's a sense of going like, oh, you know, I just don't want to be seen to be the weaker party. Um, sometimes it comes from a, a misinterpretation of the phrase, do not resist. Because sometimes when we hear that word, those words, do not resist, and we place ourselves maybe in one of those situations, we feel like we're going to become this. A doormat, right? This is the big concern. Let's be honest, guys. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. This is the big concern with this passage. The concern is if I let them hit my other cheek, if I actually do these things, I'm going to end up as a Christian doormat. I'm going to get walked over, right? I'm going to be dehumanized. It's weak. I don't want to be that person. It's passive right? This is the concern. This is why we say, oh, maybe I won't follow that bit. Maybe that's why we fight back. Maybe in our hearts we know we're not 
created to be a danger to someone else, like that escalation, but we also know deep within us, it's like, surely Jesus isn't just asking me to be like a doormat here, surely? I was sitting with a group of um, year seven, eight girls at uh, Epic Youth uh, one night in a small group. Um, we had content uh, to go through, but as is often the case in youth ministry, you end up chatting about whatever's on their mind. And, uh, and I was sitting in there with a couple of other leaders, and, and uh, these girls start to share about the situations that are going on at school, in particular fighting at school. I don't know what your school experience was like, but uh, for these particular girls, uh, the idea of fights, uh, not that they were instigating them, by the way, but uh, being exposed to fights, people who kind of had a, had a grudge and pushing against them, like these are, these, are, these are real experiences for them, and they're trying to learn how to navigate uh, them. And it was really fascinating to chat, and, and there was this kind of base assumption in this conversation that I've just got to fight back. I've got to fight back. Because if I don't fight back, they're going to keep on hitting me, right? And we get that. We get that feeling. Yeah, I'm seeing the nods. Yeah, exactly. They're going to keep on hitting me. And, and, and I, I challenged them in that moment. Not to be a doormat. We'll come back to that. But I challenged them to think, is there another way? Because Jesus suggests that there is another way. And we're going to discover that when he says, do not resist, or you could translate it, oppose an evil person, what he's really saying is, don't buy into the way that they go about justice, because there is another way. In fact, the response that Jesus asks us to take isn't passive at all, right? It's not doormat. It may even take more effort than just hitting them back. There's got to be another way. And what Jesus is doing in this moment is actually doing something really provocative in this teaching. And he's going to give three examples. And they are anything but passive, anything but becoming a doormat. Let me show you. We're going to continue that piece. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Do you ever read a text in the Bible and you go, that's a weird detail? Right cheek. Jesus didn't have to put the word right in there. He could have just said cheek, surely. Why the right cheek? Now, it's important to understand in the ancient world, in the ancient world, the right hand was the hand that did everything because left hand was used for toileting duties. Yeah? So, the right hand was used for all your engagement with people, for eating, for picking up. It was all right-handed. Okay? Now, I need, uh, I need a, uh, someone to come up and help me here. Matthew, thank you, thank you. You sit in the, you sit in the front row for a reason. All right. All right, so here we go. So right hand, right hand. Which is, show, me, show me your right hand. Yeah, you go. okay, so you got to, yeah, so right hand. Now, I want you to try, just very gently, try and slap me on the right cheek. Okay, so now what do, you, what do you notice? What did you notice about that? Back of the hand. Thank you, you performed perfectly. Well done. <laughs> That's right. See, usually when we think about slapping, right, like this. That's what we think when we think about slap. But that is the right hand hitting someone's left cheek. Fascinating, isn't it? And so what Jesus is speaking to is someone who is going to be using their right hand hitting someone with the back of their hand. Okay? Now, you have to understand in the context of Jesus' day, this wasn't just a slap. This was an act that was dehumanizing. This was the kind of thing that Romans would do to slaves, right, to diminish them and to absolutely humiliate them, right? A slap with the back of the hand wasn't just hitting you. It was a statement of how insignificant 
your worth was in their eyes, right? So you've got to keep that in mind, right? Back of the hand being hit, not just you've been hit, you are insignificant, you are worth nothing. So what does Jesus say to do? Turn the other cheek. All right, subversive. Work with me on this, all right? Because suddenly if you turn with your left cheek, what are you saying to that person? You're saying, right, if you are going to hit me, respect me enough to hit me like a fellow human being. All right, it's subtle. You might be like, Gavin, you're way off here. Three examples, they're all going to be the same, all right? So, for what Jesus is doing here is he's saying, if you find yourself in a situation, not just where you are hit, but you are being dehumanized, the back of the hand is being hit against your right cheek, don't hit back, he makes that clear, he says, turn the other cheek. Do not allow someone to deny your humanity, okay? If you're going to hit me, then hit me enough like it's like a fellow human being. This is not a, a passive act. This is a, a statement that you are making in that moment. See, God's intention with the law was a strike to the heart and not to the face. See, when you turn the other cheek, you are calling out the injustice and showing everybody watching what it is, but you are not fighting back. You see, in that moment, you are not becoming a danger where you're punching them back. You're not becoming a doormat where you just kind of passively allow it to happen. You actually generate a third way where you make a statement and say, the way you treated me was not acceptable. You have denied my worth, my humanity, right? And so if you're going to hit me, do it the right way. Whew. It's a little bit different, isn't it? And you again might be like, Gavin, no, no, that's not... This doesn't seem consistent with what... I'll give you two more examples. It's going to go exactly down the same line. In this moment, you are allowing justice to reign and for injustice to have a spotlight shed on it. So he continues. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. Now, by the way, in this example, you're being sued. Maybe rightly so. Maybe you did something wrong that's worthy of being sued, right? This isn't necessarily a situation of injustice. Sometimes people get sued because they do the wrong thing. But what is going on here? You see, in the uh, ancient world, people would traditionally wear two layers, right? Translated here as shirt and coat, right? But probably better translated as uh, outer garment and undergarment, right? That's the better way of kind of translating it. So Jesus is pointing out a situation where somebody has absolutely nothing left. They can be sued for nothing else. The only thing that they have left is their outer garment and their undergarment. <laughs> okay? All their property, all their, all their finances, anything that they have has already been sued, but somebody is suing them to such an extent that they're going to take the clothes off their back. Right? So, if someone wants to take the clothes off your back, then he says, just give them all your clothes. You've only got one layer left. But if this person feels like they're entitled 
to take the very last thing that you have, if they are so greedy and so desperate for all that you have, if they've got no compassion, then you might as well just stand there in the court naked. Because if you do, everyone will see, not, well, they will see you, but what you'll be pointing out is the injustice that has just occurred toward you. This person, because they chose to take the very last thing that I have, they again denied my dignity, my humanity, my worth. They treated me as less than human. And in this moment, I am making a statement about this. If you are going to take everything from me, may people know that you have no shred of compassion or desire for human dignity as you stand there naked in the court. This is an illustration right in that moment of their greed. And it's anything but passive. You see, in this moment, it, it's regardless of whether you're worthy of being sued or not, it's actually not about what you did. It, it turns it from, from, from what you did to suddenly the state of their heart. And people go, this guy's willing to sue this person to the point of nakedness. Like, seriously, what is going on with them? Again, it's not passive. It's certainly not punching them back. Jesus provides a third way. If you're still not convinced that that's what Jesus is going on about here, let's go with our third option. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Now, Jesus was referring to something that was very, very common in the day, particularly with the Roman army. It was something that we nowadays would call impressment. But that is where a Roman soldier was legally uh, entitled to one mile, or technically 1,000 paces, from anyone at any point in time. But no more. They were entitled to 1,000 paces. Um, and so what basically what that meant was these soldiers who had these big heavy packs could basically pull up anyone, especially Jewish citizens, right? And they would say, you must carry my pack for 1,000 paces. Impressment essentially means compelled or forced to do so. That's what uh, Jesus is referring to here. Now, for a Jewish citizen, to be asked to carry the pack of a soldier was deeply demeaning, right? That this was forced labor for no other reason than your heritage and your ethnicity. And they, as a soldier, knew that their status was above you and basically, this request, if you could even call it that, this forced subjugation was just a reminder that you were under their power. The Jews were a conquered people. That's what we call a definition of oppression. Now, Jesus knew that the Roman soldiers could force you to go one mile, but they could not make you go two. Right? Just as a Jewish citizen would be jailed for refusing to carry a pack for a mile, the soldier could face consequences if the citizen were to carry that pack for more than a mile because they were entitled to a mile, 1,000 paces, but no more. And so when Jesus says, go two miles, what are you doing? You're making a statement. Suddenly, you step over that 1,000 paces mark and he expects you to drop the pack and you keep on going? This places that soldier in a very awkward situation. He's forced to make a decision. Do I demand that this person stop? Or do I risk the possibility of punishment 
It's a tricky place to be in, right? And the Roman soldier knows that. It's funny, we talk about this idea of go the extra mile. And it's a phrase that we've actually adopted from this, which actually has nothing to do with what Jesus is talking about here. It's admirable to go the extra mile and to put in good effort, and that's all well and good. But what Jesus is talking about here with going the extra mile is about pointing out the injustice. You see, when you keep on walking, you create a moment where the person who is oppressing you feels a sense of discomfort. And again, you make a statement. If you are going to humiliate me and exploit me, if you are going to leverage a system of oppression that is present within our day, which still exists in various forms, be prepared to take personal responsibility for your behavior. It's coming back to you. It's coming back to you. And I've created this moment, not where I'm fighting back, not where I'm just doing it, but I'm creatively pointing out the injustice that is taking place and forcing my oppressor to confront their own humanity. You see, regardless of what option the soldier takes in this situation, he would probably be more hesitant, right, to order another person to carry his pack in the future, right? And so to be forced to carry a heavy pack for a mile was humiliating, but the generous offer to carry it for a second mile actually shifts the humiliation onto the soldier. Over and over again, Jesus is talking about this subversive way of pointing out injustice. That's what's going on here. That's what God intended for eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, this is your interpretation of the law. This is what God intended from the beginning. Apparently, this is how God wanted to deal with injustice from the beginning. For people to be reminded that people matter. Treat me like a human, right? Don't demean me. Don't take everything I've got for all your greed. Don't utilize the systems of oppression, right, to abuse your power. People matter and are always worthy of dignity and value. So again, I was sitting down with these uh, Year 7 8 girls. It was really good chat, robust, always robust conversation. And we're saying, okay, so fighting back, how's that going to play out? This is a real-life application, right? Is that going to solve the problem? Is it just going to escalate violence? Do you really think that punching them back is going to stop them? Maybe they'll band together with others, and then you'll have to band together with others, and then, you know, things just get bigger and bigger and bigger. Hey, you guys all know this, right? Is that going to work? Are you going to, you know, be a doormat? Are you just going to take the beating, accept that dehumanizing act? Or is there another option? Is there an option where you make some sort of statement where you make it clear that their actions are not going to define you? What does it look like to not give people an excuse to fight you? Because there's something quite fascinating when we put this into practice. When somebody denies our value and we stand up for our value, not for the fight, we quickly discover that the pressing party is the weak one, not us. Because suddenly a spotlight goes on them and their heart and their state and people look at it and go, oh, that's, that's not okay. 
We put injustice on display. Jesus provides three examples that all say the same thing. Don't fight back the way that they fight. God didn't command eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, so we could be entitled to extending violence toward another person. But also God's desire is not that we become a doormat. Don't let your humanity, don't let your dignity be denied. But in that moment, how can you make a statement? A creative way to put that injustice on display and force someone else to confront their own actions. What is actually going on in me? And so this is the question I have for us today. Because I'm not going to come up here and be like, hey, here's 10 creative solutions to the nuances of your conflict, right? It's just not going to work, right? Conflict with others is too nuanced. Injustice can be too nuanced. It actually requires work to do this well. But I can challenge you with this question as you wrestle. There are going to be some people here who will naturally gravitate toward a bit of becoming the danger themselves. Okay? I will fight back. And there are going to be other people who naturally gravitate to be more like the doormat. I'll just take the beating. You're going to face all kinds of injustice across your life. You're going to have to work out what to do with it. But whether you find yourself over here, or whether you find yourself over here, I want you to know today that God actually wants you to creatively discover a third way. It doesn't always mean that someone else will change their behavior. It's important to understand this. Right? Some people's hearts are hard. Okay? But if we are serious about following Jesus and his way, then this is what he tells us to do. And if you don't want to do that, you've got to take it up with Jesus, okay? Because he is the one that we follow. What is a creative way to put that justice, injustice, should I say, on display? It might be harder. It might take some creativity to work out how to reclaim your worth. But that's what Jesus wants us to do. So, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. No more using it for offense. Okay? Jesus says there is another way. Let me pray. Now, Jesus, you challenge us to think differently about our circumstances. We, we, we know that inside of us, we naturally will gravitate to kind of one side or the other. I'm super aware that even after this sermon, um, there's going to be a bunch of people who aren't happy. It's like, I don't like that. Um, but Jesus, um, you lead us in toward uh, God's heart. And while we live in a broken world and while there is going to be injustice, uh, Lord, would we be regularly and creatively making statements that point out that injustice without perpetuating violence? Um, and God, yeah, maybe that, that means just spending more time with you. But how can we fight for people's hearts rather than with our fists? Well, I think about uh, parent-child relationships. How can we point out injustice without becoming a doormat or a danger? I think about workplaces where there's hostility. How can we become a statement bearer in those places? Sometimes it can feel quite overwhelming. 
And yet, God, through your spirit, you can give us the key and the clue to what it looks like to allow our humanity and dignity to be maintained. But at the same time, not participate in the kind of game that would seek violence escalate. And so give us wisdom, we pray in your name. Amen.